Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. We know horses pull chariots, don't we? And my brother's got to have something to do up there while I'm hunting. <laughs> Our special is going to be brought to us this morning by Sister Dina.
Dina and uh, just goes right hand in hand with the message and the things that happened with Jesus. Uh, he was, uh, <clears throat> what he went through is indescribable and uh, hopefully I'll be able to uh, portray some of that today. Next Sunday about uh, more of a celebration because it's about his resurrection from the grave next Sunday. It is every Sunday. Why do we worship on a Sunday? Why not a Monday or Tuesday? In the Old Testament days, it was a Sabbath. Even today, there are different denominations or religions that believe that it was, uh, they worship on a Saturday and, uh, and what have you. But anyway, in looking at this this morning, we're going to start off in Luke 23. Luke 23, looking at the seven things that Jesus uttered from the cross. The seven sayings that's been phrased different ways. Um, I've got a, a couple of good uh, writers that I, I've read after and uh, looking at these sayings. Luke here shows three of them. If you have a red letter edition Bible and you look at Luke 23, you see three of them. Uh, I was uh, sharing with Trey earlier this week. I said, told him what I was preaching on. I said, Jesus said seven things from the cross. Can you name them? He named six out of the seven. I said, well, you passed, all right? And, uh, and I was asking the young people last night, uh, some of them, and looking at these seven things, very important, think about it, what he chose to say. Everything from the mouth of Jesus was important. But what he said from the cross was huge. And it's so significant for you and I. And in looking at these, uh, these are the commonly accepted by people who study the Bible, Bible students and scholars, as the order in which Jesus said. Now, there's, uh, there's one that uh, some people have put ahead of the other, but this is pretty much it. This is, and it works very well. Because not all seven sayings, seven of them, told it up to you would be this way. Not all seven sayings are found in every gospel, just like here. We have to look at all the gospels to harmonize, to bring together. Now, why? Because they're all something significant stuck in Luke's mind. Something significant stuck in Mark and John's mind. What did Jesus say? There are things that John records that nobody else records. As Miss Dina was going through the list in her song. And uh, the one of them said, his mother to an apostle. And he did. And we'll look at that. Je Jesus, even while hanging on the cross, was thinking of you. Just like that old uh, Southern Gospel song. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Jesus was thinking about you. He was thinking about others. He was thinking about his own mom. How can I take care of his, uh, my mom? Uh, some have wondered about, uh, I think, I don't know, I was visiting Miss Francis about it. We were talking about uh, why did he do that? Why wasn't his half-brother James, who wrote the book of James, why didn't he take care of his mom or Someone else, one of his other 
uh, half-siblings. Jesus had half-siblings. He had uh, brothers and sisters. They were halves. They shared the same mom, but not the same dad, obviously. Jesus' dad was not Joseph. It was God. God's seed was placed inside of Mary. That's what caused the virgin birth. That's what, uh, that's what gave us a Savior and uh, in the flesh, God in the flesh. Let's take off and look at these. Now, uh, looking at this, I love the summary that I found. And the summary is in your introduction, in your bulletin. Each one of the sayings can be summed up in one word, if you will. Forgiveness, salvation, relationship, abandonment, distress, triumph, and reunion. And boy, that last one is a great one. So let's take off on them. Luke 23, 34, the very first thing Jesus uttered on the cross many times during his trial, he was, remember, mouth shut. Now, he did say a few things, but most, for the most part, he was quiet. And for the most part, I'm sure one of those thieves, they were yelling at each other, talking to one another, and the thieves were even angry until one of them, I believe, came under the conviction. He, was, he knew about Jesus, and he came to know him as his personal Savior. Father, look at this, Luke 23:34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as Miss Dina's song said, his clothes went to the soldiers as they gambled over his clothing. It says, if you have a King James Bible, his raiment or his clothing. Okay? So let's just talk about this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, I'm going to, it's not in your outline, but just back up just a little ways to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Have my Bible marker right there in Luke 23. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. You've got the majority of the scriptures there. I've called this before, this saying of Jesus. There's another one very similar by the, the deacon Stephen. Now, he's not called a deacon in God's word, but I'm, I've given him that title. And uh, that's in Acts chapter 7. That is praying that God would forgive someone else. Now, it's one thing for me to forgive. Uh, say, Brother uh, Jimmy Stell did something to greatly offend me or my family. And say, well, I forgive you. God will deal with you, Jimmy. He'll deal with I'm just, I'm, that's it. You know, I forgive you. I've, I know I've got to move on in my life, so I forgive you. That's called lateral or horizontal forgiveness. Meet at me, you, you and me. And I'm turning you over to God. I'm, take, I'm praying that God would take care of you. And it does say that, and you think, well, we need to let God, you know, vengeance doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the Lord. And God will take care of it. But a second level of forgiveness is you say, not only do I forgive you, but I'm praying that God would forgive you too. And that, you, that it would not be, it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen said... Asked, praying for forgiveness, lay not this sin to their charge. Don't hold them accountable for their actions as they killed him with the stones. You know, in thinking about that, this second level of forgiveness, many of us can't ever get there. 
We won't ever get there. Can you not only forgive somebody who has done you wrong, but can you ask God to forgive them? And in essence, you're saying, God, forgive them and bless them. They're in the wrong, but God, forgive them and bless them. You see, Jesus, while hanging on the cross, did the same thing for you. He's saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. In Matthew chapter 6, the famous, uh, it's called sometimes the Lord's Prayer. More accurately, it's the model prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, this is how you should pray in verse 9. And then it says that in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, in other words, their wrongs against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses or sins. So basically, if you have animosity or hatred or anger or bitterness against somebody and you're hanging on to it, God's saying it's ruining your prayer life. You cannot pray like you should pray. And God's saying, I want to hear your prayer, but you're too full of anger. You're too full of hatred or bitterness or animosity toward so-and-so. And you won't let it go. And you will go to your grave hanging on to it. And God's saying, I can't even... And there are people in the Bible that did that. I think Saul, he had bitterness. Maybe it was toward David. It caused him, he was just, and if you read and harmonize the, 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 the Samuel and, and the Chronicles and looking at everything that happened, David, excuse me, Saul died, King Saul died a bitter death. And he took his own life. But God said, I caused him to do it because of his, and it mentions a couple of his disobedience and because that he, uh, went to the witch at Endor. He turned to a different God, basically. And uh, so forgiveness is key. The second saying, still in the book of Luke, <clears throat> chapter 23, Jesus took time to witness to somebody. He is dying. He's on death row. They got him hooked up to the gas chamber. Oh, Doc. As I'm sucking this in, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? You know, think about it. He's on death row. How many forms of execution have there been in the world? The French are famous for the guillotine. Uh, think about how many, even here in America, we've had public hangings. Fort Smith, Arkansas is famous for those. Public hangings. Uh, there's, of course, we've had firing squads. I remember a famous uh, criminal back whenever I was a, a kid that was executed. One of the last states. I can't remember. Maybe it's Utah. And uh, had one of the last executions by firing squad. Old West style. I remember they'd always they'd put a, something about a blank in every gun. Uh, not, but uh, a few of them or something like that. And so you didn't know, it was it your gun that killed them so you could sleep at night? Something. You know, there's always been public executions. There's been, uh, matter of fact, I was looking at a book the other day, the war, not the warden, but a chaplain in Huntsville, Texas, one of the most famous death row places in all of the United States, probably in all the world, 
and he was a chaplain. He wrote a book about memoirs of a prison chaplain. And uh, that to me, that's amazing to think. You're on death row and you're trying to reach out to others. Jesus took time to witness to somebody. Yet here we are. How much life do we have left? Who have we witnessed to this week? Who did we just, I mean, maybe say, well, I'm not up to witnessing to people. Well, just invite them to church. I'll preach to them. (laughs) Bring them to church. I'll preach. They'll hear the gospel. He says in Luke 23, 43, Matter of fact, uh, he's speaking to Jesus, and he says in verse 42, Lord, remember me. And notice Jesus noticed this guy's faith. He says, and he knew in his heart that this guy had accepted him as his personal Savior, because what did Jesus say? Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Took time. Even when it's, it's um, could, could I get to you, back to you when I, it's a little bit more convenient? <laughs> it's never, uh, folks, you say, I want to wait for the right opportunity. Sometimes, folks, you have to make an opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord. Make an opportunity. The next one is we find only in the book of John. John chapter 19 just head on over there, just a little ways. That's the next book after Luke. John chapter 19, verse 26. We find a couple of his sayings here. Even on the cross, the third one is this. Jesus uh, fulfilling and honoring. And if you look in John chapter uh, 19, 26 and 27... You find Jesus fulfilling or just taking a part of doing the Ten Commandments. What are one of the Ten Commandments? The only one with promise. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the earth. Think about that. Honoring your father and your mother. Well, who was Jesus' father? God. Was he honoring him? Yes, he was being obedient He said in Philippians chapter 2, the Word of God says, Look at my son who was humble, and he became obedient. He became a servant and took upon himself the form of man, and even unto the death, the death of a cross, a horrible death. The Jewish people, did you know what was the most common form of, of, if you will, Capital punishment among the Jews. The most common form of capital punishment among the Jews was stoning. Why didn't they stone Jesus? That's what they did with Stephen. That's what they did with others. The woman caught in adultery. That's what they were going to do with her. Why didn't they? Because, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, it says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon the tree. They wanted to double curse him. They wanted to kill him. And for his body and his spirit and his life to be cursed, that's why they wanted to crucify him. And it also, of course, fulfilled Scripture. But here on the cross, he's honoring his father and he's taking care of his mom. Now, some people say Jesus is, they not only went after Jesus, but according to tradition, they went after his brothers and sisters. We do not know, according to history, 
What happened to Joseph? Talking about, you know, Mary's husband. What happened to Joseph? Why wasn't he around? Did he pass away? Did he die? You know, and there's different uh, 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 historical accounts uh, and uh, traditional accounts about what happened to him. Was uh, Jesus' half-brothers on the run? Were they, uh, was Joseph gone? What happened? Was, was his whole family being cursed? Guess what? John's standing there. The writer of the, the, this gospel. And he said, what? Woman, behold thy son. John, there's your mom. Take care of my mom. So, Oh, let me ask you this. Why would there even... You know, think about the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not kill. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and your mother. That doesn't seem very significant. But you know what it is? If you won't honor your fleshly mom and dad, you won't honor God either. That's the way it is a lot of times. God, and that's the pattern that God set out. I had one time, I had a, uh, a lady come up to me. She was, she was uh, oh goodness, she was old enough to be my mom. She was 20 years older than me. And, and she was very distraught because I was, I was preaching this, this particular topic or theme. And she said, how can I honor God in heaven when my dad, my own dad, my physical dad abused me? She had trouble having respect for God because of the way her earthly father treated her. How many kids has that happened to? Matter of fact, that is one of the worst sins in all of the Bible. There's a lot of bad ones. Some people say sin is sin. Well, that's only to the fact that we're all sinners. There's some sins a lot worse than others. God had different forms of punishment for certain sins. Some sins, death penalty. Some sins, restoration. Some sins, there were other forms of, if you will, restitution and uh, how to get it right. And, uh, but anyway, sins against children. Jesus said, if you offend one of these little ones, and he was using an example in he- of not only spiritual, but I believe fleshly too. When he says, if you harm one of these little ones, it's best for you if your millstones hung around your neck. And you're cast in the middle of the lake, the ocean, or wherever. Don't, don't offend one of these little ones. That's bad to mess with kids. And God's Word supports that principle. Now let me say this. Sometimes parents do things that are not honorable. I'm talking about fleshly parents. Y'all know that. I can't get away from that. Matter of fact, I was just reading in the paper about the woman loaded her kids up in the van and into the river or the lake or whatever it was. One of them escaped, swam out. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Parents do dishonorable, horrible things that do not deserve honor. But what Jesus and God meant by honoring your mother and your father, honor them as long as you can. Until they violate the word of God, as honor them. Even if they live a life of sin, honor them. Now, we cannot participate in the sin. You cannot follow their sin. You, and 
Some kids have, listen to this, some kids, you know it, have no choice. I grew up in a home that we did not go to church, did not at all. And I've seen kids come to church, listen to this, in spite of their parents. That means in place of what their parents did, they came on, they had a relationship with God anyway. So if you at all possible can, honor even and unhonorable by just saying respect and love even to somebody who may not even deserve it. And that's tough to do. We have an imperfect world. And yes, there are kids, imperfect parents. And even me, I may live a life honoring to God, but my kids have to respect me and honor me, hopefully as long as I honor the Lord, that they will. So there's a promise that goes with that. Next, looking at the next saying, this is what we call abandonment. And looking at this uh, phrase, I just let's just look at uh, Matthew's account because that's uh, got some neat uh, verses alongside there. Matthew 27 and 46. Y'all are doing good. Y'all hang in there. Matthew 27, 46. <clears throat> and this is, the Bible even gives us the timing of this one. It does on several of these. In Matthew 26, 46, it says this is 3 p.m., this is right before as he's dying. The Bible does tell us from 12, it says in verse 45, the sixth hour, that's noon. There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is an Aramaic, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Most of the people in, around Jerusalem did not know Aramaic. They spoke Hebrew. The people of Jesus' area spoke Aramaic. That was his, probably his spoken. He spoke three languages we know. And, uh, of course, you say, well, he's God. He knows them all. Well, I'm talking about what he spoke while he was here. He didn't speak English. hadn't been invented yet. Okay? All right? And, uh, and then it goes on to say, as translated, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken? You can look this up in any dictionary, and it means the same thing in the Greek. You ain't got to be a Greek scholar to figure this out. Forsaken means to be left behind. To be left without help. God turned His back on His Son. Why? Because your sins and my sins were on Him. Has, have, has, has a parent ever left a child? Has a child ever left a parent? Folks, there's parents, grieving parents, all over the United States of America whose children have run away. There's the same thing. There's, but there's parents that have run away from the kids and, and, and so on and so forth. Forsaken is an awful feeling. An awful feeling. And guess what? You're, you've got a Savior who knows how it feels. Why? It, it was God had no choice. Jesus willingly took it. But folks, Jesus limited Himself to saying, I can't comprehend it all. Basically showing 
the anguish of the sin. That's why was the best way to sum it up, the anguish of the sin being on him. That's the best way I can sum it up, the anguish of the sin being on him. Folks, how many times had God and Jesus ever been separated in eternity? Zilch. This is the first time in eternity, eternity, first time ever these two have been separated. Now, I don't understand it all. Brother Lee, I can't comprehend it. There ain't enough brain power up here to comprehend that. How can one and the same? I know that. I don't understand it all. But God turned His back, so to speak, on His Son. I don't know how to put it into words. I wish I could, folks. I wish I was more talented. My God, my God, forsaken means to be left behind. It means English, Greek, it doesn't matter. Look it up. It left alone. Simple. Left alone. Abandoned. And he was. So God knows how it feels. Jesus knows how it feels. Quickly. In John nineteen twenty eight, Jesus said the words, I thirst. Matter of fact, if you read it, it says, knowing that Scripture must be fulfilled. Some people said, man, he was drugged, he was this, he was that. He didn't know what, he's suffering. Yes, that's true. He is suffering. But he's not out of his mind. He's thinking. He's thinking about everything that he needs to do. And he remembers that scripture over there in Psalms. Jesus knowing, I've got another thing I need to say, another thing I need to do. He said the words, I thirst. Still in John chapter 19, he said the words, I thirst. After he had received the vinegar, it says, it is finished. By the way, you've been on the cross, you've been beat half to death. Your beard, your hair has been pulled out. You've been beat with fists, with stakes, with, with a bat, with whatever. He's bruised. He's battered. His crown of thorns, he's bleeding from the top of his head to his feet that's got nails in it. This fellow's stout. His head's not dangling like, oh, this is it. I can't go on. My Bible says, my Jesus even in the flesh, was a stout human being. He's hanging on the cross after he's done. What does it say? When he said it's finished, what did he do? He bowed his head. You know why? It was up like this. It was up like this. And he's looking out at the crowd. He's saying, Father, forgive them. He's saying, I've got some scripture I need to fulfill. I thirst. He's doing it all for me. The, my Bible says, what does it say? When he uttered the words, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. His head wasn't dangling. He wasn't out of his mind. He wasn't delirious or drugged. He was knocking it out. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. When Jesus says he's praying, in, the, in, in Jesus' prayer, you want to know what it says? If you read John 17, you know what it says? He said, I pray for everybody who's going to believe. And that's you. 
I'm praying for everybody that's going to believe. And He's knocking it out. He's suffering. Yes, He's dying. But He is not drugged. He's not out of His mind. He's in full capability. He's doing it for me and for you. He said, hey, fellow, I want to witness to you. He tells him, He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I thirst. My God, I just don't comprehend it. Of course He couldn't. He had never known sin. He had never been separated from his father. Had had those two things ever occurred in history? How could God die? And then he bowed his head. John doesn't record what Luke records. But in Luke 23, 46... He said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to say it the way I would say it. Dad, I'm coming home. Dad called me this morning. My dad is like he does every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And he said, Son, you don't know how proud Mimi and I were. So glad to see you and the kids last weekend. At my step grandmother's funeral, said, "Son, it was good to see you. We were so proud to see you and the kids." The Bible says that Jesus did go up to heaven, and he went up to in the tabernacle that's up there. I believe, as our priest after order Melchizedek, he sprinkled that blood. Whose blood? His blood. On the mercy seat in heaven. He said, Dad, I did it. Dad, I did it. I'm coming to see you. I'm coming home. The longer you live, I used to feel guilty about wanting to get married and have it. Why don't I just pray Jesus come back right now and get married and have a family? I want to do those things before Jesus comes back. That's my flesh. But God designed your flesh to want to live. But the older I get, the more I look forward to going home. And as wonderful as I love to say my home's in promised land, The older I get, the more I realize my home is not on this earth. It's in heaven. And it'll be a great homecoming day as we prepare for a hymn invitation. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer, please? Father, I thank you for everyone that's here realizing that we really didn't touch on your suffering as much as what you said on the cross you said some awesome things and I pray that we would just have a small grasp of what you stated on our behalf Father thank you for loving us Father I'm sure that there is somebody in a crowd this size 
that's here that's never been saved, somebody that's never prayed and asked you to be their Savior. Father, I pray that they'd realize that our sin is what nailed you to the cross. But it was your love that held you to the cross. It wasn't the nails. It was your love that held you to the cross so that we could have a Savior. Father, I pray that they would realize that you died to give us life. You rose again so that we could also conquer the grave. Father, help us to turn to you. If there's somebody here that's not saved, in Jesus' name, amen. As we all stand and turn to page number. Hymn number 17.
Living.